Welcome to the Author's Porch, where every good conversation happens. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride from author to author. We want to give you an experience where you learn and enjoy the conversation. Authors tell you about their journey, you learn about new books, and at the end of the day, you go home with a smile on your face because the Author's Porch is a beacon of light bringing you home to the family you never knew you had. We hope that you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Author Sports, where every great conversation happens. We are extremely blessed to have Jonathan Pruitt here on the show with us today. How are you doing, Jonathan? So far, so good. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks again. Um, Guys, I'm going to give you a little bit of information about Jonathan, but not enough because we're going to talk to him directly. That's so much more fun than listening to me sit here and yabber all the time because you guys know that I can. So guys, Jonathan is a lifelong educator, a former scientific researcher, super interesting, and a provocative fantasy author. His beginnings were meager, hailing from an economically disadvantaged county in Florida. But that wasn't where he saw his future. From playing esteemed concert concert halls as a child prodigy pianist to earning his PhD at a youthful age of 24, Jonathan, as you can tell, has had big dreams. And while his life may seem that of a Hollywood movie, it wasn't without turmoil. One thing is for sure, Jonathan has a gift for writing. In his new book, The Amber Minher, I hope I said that correctly, <laughs> uh, is proof because upon its release became a bestseller. And we're going to get into all kinds of details and all kinds of information here because Jonathan has lived a very colorful life, one which I am super stoked about. And I had a a blessed opportunity to read the Amber Meher uh, the day before its release, uh, courtesy of Black Chateau Enterprises. And it is a whirlwind of fantasy beauty, for lack of better words. So thank you so much for being here and sharing your book and your life with us, Jonathan. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's, a, it's, it's an honor to be here, and I'm excited to share uh, both the story on the page and off the page with your listeners today. Yeah, I love that you said on the page and off the page, because what a lot of people do not understand is while we write these vividly imaginative stories, some of it comes from real life. Some of it comes from things that we endure throughout our lifetime. Now, is your book, is it birthed from real life or is it strictly fantasy? Well, I mean, so I was an academic for a long time. I mean, basically, uh, my life has always been encased in school in one way or another, you know, from the time I was, you know, four or five uh, preschool, kindergarten, all the way up until um, just a couple of years. I mean, even now, I'm 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 coming to you from a from a from, from a school, and so like my whole life has been in an academic setting. My parents were teachers. My mom was a guidance counselor. And my stepdad taught um, exceptionally student education, like um, profoundly mentally handicapped individuals crossing crossing the street and washing their hair. So all I've ever known was school, and I wow. and I I, I loved 
I loved fantasy novels from a young age. You know, I'm an energetic adult. I was an energetic child. And so, uh, you know, the idea that fantasy was like the first genre that could lure this energetic ball of energy, frenetic child that couldn't sit still into reading books that were hundreds and hundreds of pages long, or sometimes a series that were thousands of pages long. It was really fantasy's strength um, that it could wow. that it could that could bring a non-reader, a rambunctious person into the literary world. And then and then from there I've enjoyed lots of genres over the course of my life. But you know, if I had written a book any time in my life, it would have been in an academic setting because that's all I've ever known. But, um, you know, more than that, because I got to, you know, I climbed pretty high in the, in the academic world for a long, long time. Um, you know, you do get to see like the strengths of academia, the coolness of that of that world, but then also some of the some of the um, idiosyncrasies and mm -hmm. and and and. Um, oddities that that um, that emerge in a in in a, in a in a in a subclass of people, academics that are really privileged in a lot of ways and cut off from the rest of the world in many instances. And so I sort of took that sort of element, like like an academic world that is cut off from the people that it serves, and then took that to the nth degree in this series. So like in some ways, yeah, it's it's grounded in things that I know best. The setting bears resemblance to things I've known my whole life, but I've contorted things and hypertrophied things to make the, this dark dystopian world. And the yeah. and, and the scholars in my in my book are so so obnoxiously evil in some circumstances. I've never known anyone that <laughs> that bad. The whole, the whole thing of fantasy is that you get to like you get to min max things out and and and, and embellish parts of the real world to make uh, to make a fantasy. So yeah, is it a fantasy? Yes. Is it grounded in reality? It has to be because you know yeah. I think everything that we write is 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 birthed from what we know, and that is and I'm no exception to that. Yeah, and I love I love that you said that. So, um, upon retiring from the Air Force, I went to work in academia, and I did um, two and a half years in a community college, and mm -hmm. then I went and um, worked at a university. And uh, I'll say next week is my last week working at a uh, at the university. I will no longer be working in academia. I will be in the author world full time. Um, so I get a little bit of working in academia and the the nuances and idiosyncrasies that you talk about uh, <laughs> that I had never experienced before. And um, in reading some of your book, I I caught some of those and I was like wow <laughs> so when I asked you that question I was like I wonder if he's going to bring up the close ties so mm -hmm. can you give us some things that that mirror that yeah. the real life uh, that are in your book kind of because the audience so we're sitting here talking about it like the audience already yeah, knows yeah. about your book yeah. but so let's give the audience <laughs> so they can understand a little bit because we want them to go and read it because once they start hearing about <laughs> characters in real life they're going to want to read it yeah, yeah. So let's see. The the book is um, so the setting of the of the book, the the Amber Minier. So that's the, it's actually a school. So the Miniers are a set of schools in this imaginary world that conduct magical research and 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 tutelage of the next generation of of magic wielding individuals. So it describes a world where there are two tiers of individuals: those that are more populous, the average person who cannot wield any sort of magic, and then a more uh, a minority of individuals who pass down hereditary magical aptitudes down their bloodlines. And so we follow a group of new recruits to the Amber Manier, one of these schools, the fresh-faced fresh descendants that are interested in joining these schools and, and learning about their magical aptitudes and developing them and possibly coming up with new magical discoveries. 
And the Meniers, they didn't emerge, these schools did not emerge by chance, but they emerged in response to a threat that this entire world, this planet, is, uh, is imperiled by. So this, this planet is moving towards a cosmic agent, a space, a, a, a region in space that will destroy all of life. They've, mm. The scholars and, and the people on this, on this, in this world have seen this, this impending disaster coming, and they've called it calamity because it will destroy all of life. <laughs> it will cause great calamity. And the only hope that, this, that civilization has from, to, to survive this, this, this cosmic force is to come up with a kind of magic that will be able to either shield the people or enable them to withstand these cosmic forces. And so the Meniers emerged with 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 under 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 um uh, ide- uh under noble auspices they are trying to come up with magics that will help the world survive that will be able to circumvent calamity but the problem is, is that calamity is far off in the future and mm-hmm. the people who are coming up with these magical discoveries are severed from the broader population they don't get to see the 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 short-term impacts of their decisions and when you have a privileged class of people that are severed from the people that they impact evils can emerge and you know and all humans humans, um, we're, all humans have an aptitude for behaving selfishly from just finagling our taxes ever so slightly or, <laughs> oh, or you know, like reinterpreting the rules, like, oh, maybe the rule means this in a way that becomes self-serving. And mm-hmm. these scholars are no different. And, and the repercussions of those decisions, they're severed from them because they're so, they're so divorced from the broader population because they are humanity's only hope and humanity is entrusting in them to conduct this, to, to, to conduct this noble enterprise. But along the ways, it becomes adulterated by self-interest and we f- we find out from these three unsuspecting ascend unsuspecting ascendants that if you show up to these, these maneers and you do anything to uh, go against the prevailing order well mm. bad things might happen to you and, and and then the status quo is working quite well for the people inside of this place and you uh you risk being trampled if you go against that yeah oh man that that <laughs> You have definitely a way of bringing someone into that story all over again, because I'll tell you, there's a lot of people wonder how to fix the future, right? And we we live in that now in a non-magical world. Mm -hmm. And whenever you think about how to fix it, they want to fix it, but in a way that makes them money. So uh-huh. talk about, uh, and I love fantasy, right? I try to write my own fantasy series myself. I mean, I think every, every little kid that, that grew up mm-hmm. reading them wanted to, but you write from an academic standpoint as well. Um, when you're writing, what brings you into that mentality? When you close your mm-hmm. eyes, and you're and you're thinking about these characters. Hmm. How do you visualize them? Yeah, I mean, so how do I visualize the characters, and how do I put myself into their minds? I mean, a little bit of it is I, I it's like each of these characters. Although I'm none of these characters are directly me. There, none of these things are idealized. I no are no Mary Sue characters in here. There no, <laughs> there, there's no like little there's no little Jonathan wandering around in this place and being the great the great hero. In fact, in fact, if any of the characters in this book, I'm probably more resemblant to the bad guys than I am to the good guys. Yeah. But I think like okay, like 
uh, in this world, there are going to be people who are of this privileged elite magic using class, these scholars, these noble bloodlines, and then there, there are lay people. And so I wanted to make sure that when I created these characters, that I had characters that came from both sides of that cultural divide. So we have people who are magic users who have have just accepted this class system at face value and are benefiting from it. And, and they're not evil. They're just, they just inherited this, this societal divide and they, and they take it for granted. And then you get to slowly see their confidence in the way their society works fall apart. So we have Tara Langcrawl, who is like the main point of view in the first book. And she, she, she maintains, she's the main uh, point of view for the next two books as well. The series follows the same five POVs, all the way okay. through the five books. And we and so like um, the first three books are drafted, but she is one of the most uh, uh, prosperous noble bloodlines. She is the only daughter, the sole heiress of this noble bloodline. And they, and, and her bloodline wields the most uh, elite and rare of the magical aptitudes. And that is time and probability manipulation. And so um, they're called the tilters of the hourglass. And they're 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 almost like the time witches mm. within the Meneers themselves. So there are six kinds of magical users. And the ones that are rarest are, the, are these tilters of the hourglass. And so, you know, she, the, the whole school knows that she's showing up. The whole school is expecting great things from her. And in fact, society writ large knows about the tilters of the hourglass. And, they're a con and they inspire myth and superstition and wonder even among the magic users themselves and so there's all this expectation on her and to her whole life she is expectant of this of this of this you know wonderful future and then she gets to the to the manier and and things do not go as well for her as everyone anticipated mm -hmm. and you know not everyone's upset about that for her either, right? Like when you, when, you know, when you look like you're going to be the great success and you start to stumble, a lot of people can enjoy that and begin to facilitate yeah. it. And then one of her peers, Peony Bianche, um, she's, she's, um, she's not so um, special, at least at face value. And it turned and, 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 and a great difficulty for the main POV, Tara, her, her friend who is basically an unwashed, uh, uncouth individual relative to Tara starts to have all these great successes and starts to become the center of attention. And so um, I try to think about uh, archetypes of people in real life. I try to oh. give each kind of character a, um, a, a set of strengths and weaknesses that are resembled to things that we would that we would see based on someone with that history and that and that from that slice of, of culture and then for every terror that we have we have a peony who is a little bit um less polished and for both of those which are still from noble bloodlines i wanted to make sure that we had points of view from the rest of society so yeah. serving these scholars are the servant class inside of the Meniers, which are a subset of lay society whose only job it is to make sure that the Meniers operate smoothly and so they become like the administrative uh well i shouldn't even say administrative the the underlings that make the manure work and so i wanted to make sure that we had some points of view from that servant class that are just as strong of character and just as strong of will as the as these as these uh, noble bloodlines but you know they are not a privileged member of society they are not they do not they're not going to inherit the world and in fact they're sort of mistreated by a large number of scholars mm -hmm. and they have very little recourse for that and so what would those sorts of people look like and so i wanted to make sure we had different ages classes yeah. 
and perspectives. And then, um, you know, it's very easy for me to write bad guys because I myself am a mixture of light and shadow. But, you know, and then when yeah. I was writing, when I were writing a sweet, innocent rube, I try to, I try to think of my, my friends. Okay. Like who is the, who is the sweetest <laughs> person that I know in my, in my sphere? And like, and how would they approach this thing? Perhaps with a little bit of naivete, but like how would a person who is uncynical approach this? So I try to, I try to role play as various people I know, and even characters that I've known from other books. So sometimes I can think of other books i'm like okay that character is very sweet imagine like what would they think mm. of in this circumstance filtered through this different history that i have in mind for this character so they become sort of like bricolages of characters and people that i've known personally or from or or characters that i've known from books which oftentimes i know those characters as well as i know most people so yeah I guess, yeah i try to i try to role play as the characters uh along the way it's like a little dungeons and dragons game where you're every yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think it's really important to make those characters realistic the way that you have, because if the reader cannot <clears throat> basically become friends with the character, mm -hmm. then they're not going to connect, mm -hmm. and they're not going they they'll read the they'll possibly finish the book because it's good, it's a great sure. book, but will they? continue with the series and then when you have a series it's really important right yeah. so i think that that's fabulous that you have created identifiable characters that have so much depth mm -hmm. and that depth really envelops the reader to the point where it's like this warm hug and mm -hmm. they're like oh i care about what happens to you i care about your feelings i care and when they start caring that becomes like this epic moment where that they become real to them and that that is how it becomes this lifelong journey for the reader. And that's fabulous. Mm -hmm. Now I want to take it back to, because one of the things that is really important to understand is you go from, you know, in a place I live in a socio socioeconomically disadvantaged area down here. I'm in Brownsville, mm -hmm. Texas, yep. and most people live at the poverty level. And I see mm -hmm. it myself. And most of the kids, they can't leave to go to college because they have to take care of family members. So they never get to see their full potential. Right. One of the amazing things about you is you were able to see your full potential and you continue to strive to meet these new feats. You went from child prodigy pianist, you earned your your PhD and now you're a best-selling author but you did have some things in the middle but it didn't stop you you were mm -hmm. like okay well this is gonna happen well guess what I'm still gonna jump up like you keep jumping up you're not gonna step down how has that manifested in your life to to show you that resilience and how do you continue having such resilience even though you had such a pivotal moment in your life yeah, I mean, uh, you know, sometimes I like to pretend like I'm someone else. And <laughs> Me so, too. Yeah, I'm like, you know, like when bad things, so I oftentimes think to myself, you know, like bad stuff has happened to me all, all of my life. You know, like I, I'm trying to get an award as a child and, I, and I'm and i runner up or, you know, like I try, I, you know, I, I botch a piece in the middle, <laughs> in the middle of a recital <laughs> or, you know, I'm auditioning for a role in a in community theater yeah. as a child and I don't get it. And, you know, you know, there, there, you know, for every success that society sees in anyone, believe me, there were a lot of other things that almost happened that didn't, you know, like my book's a bestseller. Like, hooray, it sold, you know, like 5,000 copies. You know, we're still in the first month, but it looks like it's going to sell about 5,000 copies in the first month. That sounds great, except for there are a bunch of things that 
almost happened that didn't. There was almost a New York Magazine article about me that got killed because the New Yorker had a profile piece from someone similar that came out the Tuesday before and it got killed. And mm. so like 8 million people, blah, not going to see a profile piece on me. Or, oh, you know, I, we almost got a USA Today bestseller. We didn't quite sell enough pa uh, paper copies, even though we had enough virtual copies. We didn't quite have enough pa paper copies. Yeah. Like every person that you see that you think is succeeding really well, believe me, they have way more failures than you will ever hear about. And 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 I think I think it's a disservice if you, as a person that's, that's that, for all of us, I think it's a disservice not to talk about your failures. I've had an enormous number of failures. You know, I was, I'm, I am by far the world's most infamous spider biologist. Lone, look, I have a spider web on the side of my head. I love like, that, I, by yeah, the way. It, it, it is the season. It is the season. And yeah. <laughs> so it will be shaved out by by Wednesday. I'll have a high skin fade. It'll but be you gone. have to have like an epic uh, <laughs> profile photo of that, like professionally done. <laughs> and like this evil type of look on your face. Yeah, you have to have it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, you know, and it's, it's, all, it's sort of disappointing. You can imagine the world's most evil spider biologist would be a little more sinister than me. I have like a bubbly personality. <laughs> Like, right. and, like, and I love everyone. And so like, but you know, like, you know, I, I've had great infamy over the course of my life. As a chess player, I was known to be a psychological chess player. So like, if I was, because I was a competitive chess player as a child at national competitions, like I would hear coaches saying, you're going in against Pruitt, he's going to try to distract you, he's going to try to play games with you. And those accusations were right. I, you know, like, and, <laughs> and I will, and I will. And the yeah, fact that now, right. and now you're frightening your player who is a 14 year old while they're going in. And, and I'm going to lean into this even more. Like, you know, like that's the, like I, in this game, I mean, I'm not going to cheat in a game of chess, but I'm certainly going to give myself every advantage I can. And I, and, and, and I, and I, and I did that for a long, long time. And, you know, as an academic, I did everything apart from manipulate results and I was very ambitious. And then when, when controversy befell me for, for, for years, I got destroyed in the media and every single person that I was close to, you know, um, had, had for their own self-preservation had to abandon me and they did. And, and when that happens to you, you don't get into those situations for all the good decisions you made. Right. So like, even if the, if, if the real narrative is dissimilar from what the media might've reported, you still have to admit culpability where it's at, see the responsibility that you have in all situations, your successes and your failures. And just because you succeeded didn't mean you did it the right way. Even successes, you need to revisit. And I think at the end, I always am relitigating and acknowledging what I did to create that circumstance and try to fight off the instinct to, to, to blame other people for my failures when I have them. Because if, you know, we're all, everyone's smart enough to come up with an explanation for why it wasn't their fault. But if you go through your whole life blaming other people for things that happened to you, um, even, in, even when, even when there are other people that you could hypothetically blame, then you won't learn anything. So like, I am constantly saying, okay, what did I do that changed this scenario? How can I make amends to the degree that I can now? And then what is left in me in terms of my skill sets, my abilities, the time that I have remaining on this earth that can be leveraged to do something good, to do something admirable, to do something that will bring people joy and that will contribute something so that my tombstone doesn't just say like, was a psychological chess player and once studied spiders. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm always I'm always thinking about like what can I leave behind that's good you know I, I'm, I'm not going to produce offspring I don't have kids that I'm going to do and I'm not going to become the next great painter 
Um, so like, you know, it's like, what do I, what do I do? So what do I do now? I teach Catholic minors about biology. I teach college level biology to Catholic minors. Yeah. I don't have children, but I have a bunch of monks, the Catholic monks, Franciscans and brothers and, yeah. and Jesuits that I take for uh, this evening. I'll go to dinner with the monks and, you know, I, 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 I collect um, a bunch of my friends are kind of ill. And because I have a lot of energy and I don't have children, I have time and I have scope and I go with my friends to the doctors and I go see them in the hospital. And like, mm. and I write these books because even if you don't believe a word that I say, you don't have to do that with fantasy because the whole premise is that it's not true. And so, and so like, I'm just trying to create a fantasy series that I would love and that a, a, yeah. a younger version of me and an adult version of me would love with, with sinister backhanded humor, but also with heart. And like, you know, my characters, many of them start off not that likable, but by the end of the book and certainly by the end of the series, all of them are, are real people and they have depth and they have good things they want to leave in the world, but they also have flaws that they have to work past. And it's, and it's, it's not sort of, they're not sort of flaws that you can snap your fingers and make go away. And there's not a magic power that's going to make their care, their, their, their character quality of being better. They have to navigate that the way that we do in the real world with lots of bumps and, 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 and without, without a, a, a hand of God to intervene on their behalf, they have to do it and they fall often. And so, and I mentioned I sometimes I like to pretend like I'm not me. So like I've I've been kind of down the past couple of weeks. So I'm like I'm like Mike, I'm like oh my god my I didn't reach USA today. That was my big goal for the for the month. I was like yeah. we're gonna reach USA today and we're gonna like I only have to sell like three or four thousand copies. We easily beat that. And then I wasn't on the list and I was like no. Nah. <laughs> <I'm so laughs> and and then I thought to myself I'm like. Jonathan, if you if you if you were talking to anybody else about this, you'd be telling them you did great and that's still wonderful. Yeah. Like and, you know, lots of people would 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 kill to sell a few thousand copies in, in their first year, let alone their first month. Get real, you're being a spoiled brat. Like like pick yourself up and move along. And so oftentimes, if you, when something bad is happening to you, it's hard to see the hope. It's hard to yep. see the path forward. But I think to myself, I'm like I'm like okay. And this is perhaps this is a dangerous psychological practice. I don't know. I'm like, okay, imagine that you are speaking to you and that these problems were not happening to you. They were happening to one of your close friends, to one of your little monks, or one of your co one of your colleagues at school, <laughs> one of your friends from like, you know, like back in South Africa, or you know, because I lived in South Africa and Namibia. Like if yeah. one of, if one of if one of them had one of them um experienced this 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 series of problems, what would you say to them to build them back up? And right. I'm and I'm far if, I will say those things out. I'll write those things down. And even though it's hard to feel them because the events are happening to you, I know intellectually that these are the things that 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 are truer than the story I'm telling myself. When something bad happens to me, I, I tell myself, oh my God, you're not gonna be able to recover, blah, 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 blah. This is terrible. You lay down and sleep until noon each day. But you know, again, severing myself from that and trying to think like, okay, if this was somebody else, what advice would you give them? And then trying to take that advice, even if, even if it's hard. So right. pick yourself back up. You have to change the narrative sometimes. Every once in a while, there's things that I see, and I think I see them for very specific reasons. Mm -hmm. And I was looking through a newspaper or something, and I saw I was having a very hard time that day, and I don't remember the exact instance. And I'm glad that I don't because obviously it wasn't important. But I and I have this little newspaper clipping, and it says, "Accountability is at the core of human decency." And I clipped it out and I kept it, and I and I carry it around in my little wallet, and I and I just every once in a while it comes. I'll just see it in my wallet. And I think I see it at very opportune times mm -hmm. because it reminds me that it is hold myself accountable at all times. And when you said that, I was like, yeah, like 
understand that everything happens for a reason, hold myself accountable, even in the moments when I don't feel that nothing's my fault and -hmm. know that there's a brighter side. Every day I wake up and I do a gratitude moment. What am I grateful for today? Even if I didn't have a moment, all I did was open my eyes. Well, guess what? You opened them. Somebody didn't today. And I do the same thing in my Facebook group. I say, good morning, everybody. What are you grateful for today? And some days nobody Uh, it's an automatic thing. I'm not in there typing it because I couldn't (laughs) remember every morning because I can barely remember to feed my dogs until they start barking at me. And then I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, you got to eat. Okay, good. (laughs) So I think it's, and you that resilience that you have is infectious, Jonathan. Mm -hmm. And as long as you keep letting people know that, yes, you're going to have more failures and you are going to have wins. And the thing with today's social media and today's internet age is you're only ever going to see people's wins. You know, if we all sat around and just talked about our failures, man, we'd need a bunch of <laughs> bunch of coffee, tea, probably some cigarettes and whiskey too. <laughs> so, guess, sure. so guess what? It's okay to, to have a failure. It's okay to, but keep going. And I'm so glad that you did because if you didn't, we wouldn't have the Meneers and Wowzer. They're pretty freaking good, you know? And it doesn't mean just because you didn't do it in the first month that you won't mm-hmm. do it in the second month month and that's pretty cool as you still have but man i couldn't even imagine selling that many copies to date and i've been doing it four or five years so wow that's i know i mean i mean it was it was what i mean infamy turns out to be a commodity that trades with liquidity in some in some markets (laughs) and so like like i remember before the books were even out there's something like fifty thousand people who had seen it on twitter and were like I'm angry, but you know, like 50,000 people knew about it that didn't know about it before. And they figured I was probably going to say something incriminating or angry or evil on the inside of these books. And some subset of them must have purchased copies. (laughs) Let them get angry enough to buy a book. That's that's what I've got to say. Anything to support reading, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. If hate reading, if hate reading is going to be a thing, I'm happy. I'm happy that they're reading at all, and and hopefully by the time that they're done with these books, they'll realize that even even the evil academic schools in my books, like they're not. I mean, like they still have virtuous elements to what they are, and yeah. and and the scholars themselves, yeah, you see them conducting acts of evil, but oftentimes it's based on sound rationale and it might be for the betterment of society. It's just the immediate consequences can look pretty jarring. Yes. So where can, when is the second book coming out? Because I I need to read the second one. So when's it coming out? The second book is called the eggs inside and it is drafted. I am on chapter 17 right now. And I'm so every single, I I probably shouldn't tell you about my weaknesses, but here it goes. Um, So like, (laughs) I mean, I start start with the first quarter of a book and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to snag you with like this, with this, uh, with this great intro scene. It's going to be like strange. There's a death, there's a murder. And I'm going to set the stage. I'm going to hear the development of the story. And then I begin to move the pieces around. And then about halfway through the book i'll have an, an an inciting incident and then from there we combo off a series of actions phases until the end of the book and all and all the books have that sort of structure but it's in the second quarter between that like we've had these these cool intro scenes and now we have and we have the inciting incident i'm in that second quarter editing and this is like the fourth time i've edited the second book every single one of my books gets edited like 10 times like this book has been written for more than a year it has had professional <laughs> editors go through it multiple times i like to fuss with everything and then at the end no sentence at the end of my editing is accidental 
everything is either le- it's either hinting at something or it's telling you something important about a character. Anyway, so like it'll come out next, next summer. The goal is for it to come out during Dragon Con, so the second week of August okay. in Atlanta. There's a huge sci-fi fantasy convention. I intend to go there, have the book debut. And then if I can, the narrator, Sharon Lee, I'd, I'd like to lure her into coming as well. She just had a baby though. So like it, it's, she just had her, for, like, I think it's her first child. She was very, very pregnant when she was narrating the Amber Manier. She narrated for 15 hours. Then like she had her baby and then we gave her pickups and then and, like, which, you know, like it's like retakes, like little things she has to do. And yeah. she... She, and again, she just played opposite Keanu Reeves in a video game. So, like, you know, like she, wow. she's, she, she has big credits to her name, but like she got her pickups done in like three days and got her right back to us and to the sound engineer. So, hopefully, I'll have her there as well. And she's got a huge social media following, and people love yeah. her. And I kind of have a, like a dark and cynical narrative voice, but she has so much brightness and life to her from, from being trained in the anime world primarily. So hopefully yeah. we'll have her there as well. And we'll do book signings. We'll have like fun giveaways and we'll give away hourglasses filled with blood. So hopefully, uh, uh, not full blood, <laughs> you know, like fictitious blood, yeah. uh, but, but like in uh, August of next year is when the second book should come out. Hopefully at Dragon Con, hopefully with Jeremy there. That's the plan. And also if the plan doesn't work out, believe me, it's because failures happened along the way. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, but let's let's keep our fingers crossed and hope for that because that sounds super cool. You said that's in Atlanta. Atlanta, yeah, yeah. So they have there are about four um, four hotels. They'll have it in downtown Atlanta, and so um, so I'll probably so I'll probably get a booth there. Um, have I'll probably have some cosplay individuals there too. Like I'll have people dressed up as the of the Tilters of the Hourglass and have their weird like purplish robes. I'm, I want it to be as immersive experience as possible with a few yeah. backdrops so people can take pictures and blah blah blah. And, you know, and hawk my wares and tell people about this cool series that is, you know, half social commentary and half uh, and half uh, epic fantasy. And hopefully and hopefully people will enjoy it. I think I think even if you weren't into the books, I'll make sure that my little corner of the event for the eyes. Yeah. So I'm going to keep my fingers crossed to make sure that it happens because that sounds super cool. And if it does happen, I'm going to. I'm going to look into it to see if I could stop by because I'll be closer. I'll be up in Missouri, which is closer than Texas. Over the summer, I'm going to start spending in Missouri possibly. So I'm going to see. That would be super cool. Like I would be like, Jonathan, this is too cool. So awesome. So where can people find you at and grab a copy of the Amber Veneers? Yeah, so the Amber Veneer is available on um, Amazon and Barnes & Noble and uh kobo and walmart and target and basically anywhere that you can, you can buy a book <laughs> on, on, online so look up the t-h-e amber like the fossilized stone a-m-b-e-r and the near m-e-n-h-i-r uh you can find it on any of those platforms um uh the virtual copy is quite inexpensive you can go try it out try the first few chapters i recommend getting to send and veil like chapter three finish that and then see if you like that narrative style because like you'll have a sense of who all the characters are by then and um the audiobook should be available in about a week or two's time i have to go through it one more time now and that and you can listen to Jeremy lee narrate the various characters and she does an amazing job such a wonderful actress so lucky that we that we landed her and then um, I'm available uh, on Instagram, Jonathan Pruitt 
author. <laughs> and then uh, you can go on uh, The Shadows of the Monolith. The name of the series is The Shadows of the Monolith. So the shadows of the monolith.com or just shadows of the monolith.com takes you to my website and blog. And then I'm also on Facebook, uh, facebook.com backslash the shadows of the monolith. And you can find me there with my musings and updates and links to this very video. And uh, you can see about uh, all the things that are going well and poorly in real time and see, you know, like, like the story behind the story. Like there are going to be lots of things that interesting that happen in the following weeks uh, and the following months. And so hopefully by the time the eggs inside come out, uh, we'll be able to make a, a couple more scandals and a couple more successes. Yeah. Super cool. I, I've had a great time and I'm already following you on social media. So mm -hmm. yeah. I make sure that I keep up with anything that's going on because you are super fun to talk to and to watch to grow in this series because I'm enjoying it and I'm ready for book two to come out. But on top of that, like after hearing all the fun things on the audio that you have coming, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to listen to the audio book. I read the book, but now I want to listen to the audio book. So so it's a very guys check yeah so check all of that out jonathan is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to make sure we get out there before we head out for the day not at all this is a wonderful okay. chit chat you this is great awesome. I, I i loved being here and hopefully we can do it again when the the eggs inside come out and by the way the eggs inside is not like a british baking show that's like parasitic <laughs> eggs on the inside of you <laughs> Well, I do love me a good British baking show. How did you know I watched those? I have them on my Hulu. But <laughs> we do need to do this again whenever the next one comes out. I'll talk with your PR folks and be like, please let Jonathan come back. We had too much fun on a good Saturday. So awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, Jonathan. Guys, go check out the Amber Manier. Am I saying it right this time? Yeah, you got it. You got it. I, I get the tongue tie. I told you it's the whole golden girl with wicker thing going on over here. So guys, go check out uh, Jonathan's books. Go check out his uh, Instagram, Jonathan Pruitt author. Go check out him on Facebook. Make sure you're following because this is a new fantasy series that is about to blow up. You want to be there when it does. Guys, we'll see you next time on the author's porch. Bye, Jonathan. Bye, everybody. Take care, guys.